Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. Well, I'm glad to be here. You know, Paul said, I long to come to you, but the devil resisted me. I don't know if the devil resisted me or my schedule resisted me. How many times did I plan to come and not come? Sorry about that. That might be a record. I mean, you know, Paul said, let my yes be yes and your no be no. I somehow got messed up in that process. But anyway, it's good to be back in Roanoke Rapids. I, I, I came to this church to speak off and on many, many years ago. Um, that would have been, I can't remember, 20-something years ago. And so it's wonderful to be here. I've known Dave since he's 18. I've known Andrea since she was five. And um, in fact, I laid hands on her when she was six to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I used to ride her on my motorcycle to elementary school, and the fact she's still alive today is a miracle. (laughs) Andre, don't go too far. I'm going to pray over you and Dave in a minute. So it's just great to be here um, in Roanoke Rapids. I I do have the privilege of uh, traveling um, different parts of the world. I'll be in the Middle East, leave for the Middle East Tuesday. I'll be at a leadership summit in the Arab Emirates. Then I'll be on the Syrian border um, in a town called Mufraq, where there are 400,000 Syrian refugees. And uh, my second son, Peter, and his wife, they've lived in the Middle East for years. They're both fluent in Arabic, and they're working with refugees and making lots of disciples there. So I, it's a great privilege. I work with a family of churches called Every Nation. We have churches in 73, 74 nations. And so I got called to preach when I was 17. That's about 10 years ago. I'm sorry, that's a lie. But anyway, <laughs> I know I look 18. This is my resurrection body. Just kidding. I'll be 60, which is the new 40, in just a few months. Um, Let's pray, and then I want to prophesy over Pastor Dave and Andre and a couple of their kids who are present, and I'm doing it in front of you because some things about the church will come out. Father, I thank you for this church. It's a long history. I, I thank you for a very distinct new phase that you're going to bring this church in, not just of citywide impact. That really is going to happen, Lord, but regional impact as well. Um, it's, Lord, it's been some years in the making, but the last two years has been germinating in the hearts of many. Lord, there's going to be a whole new activity of many individuals um, in the political realm of this city. Um, you're you're going to open just multiple doors. and In fact, Lord, you're going to prosper this city, and, and you're getting ready to really do something in the city that's just going to increase jobs. Um, there's something the city's been in the, the process of negotiating and believing for, and I'm just so thankful you're, gonna, you're going, Lord, to bring it. Um, you love this city. Uh, you care about it. And I thank you that you have a plan for it. And this church is part of it. I pray you'd help us in these moments together. Amen. Dave and um, Andrea, please come up here. I'm going to get down. Come up here on the stage. If you, I think a couple of your kids are with you. You can bring them, too. Two of your five. I think you said that's Meredith. And that's, I'm not sure who, but I think you said he was 16. Okay. All right. Let's get, let's, get our hand, let's get our hands out um, to your, um, uh, your pastor and wife and family. I want to pray over them. Um, why are you raising your hands? Well, the Bible says, you know, laying on of hands. This is called aiming on of hands. Different, you get the same effect with just way too many hands, so you can kind of aim and pray. Father, I thank you. Son, my hand's on you. I want you to know I'm impregnating you with new vision. In fact, says the Lord even, as, as I know Dave is turning, just turned 50, right, Dave? And this 50th birthday, I felt there's going to be even a new grace on you. In fact, there's going to be uh, the emerging of some new gifts in you. Wisdom, counsel, and pastoring's been there. That's going to grow. You're going to find yourself having the ear of other pastors, of leaders, of businessmen, 
Um, you're going to find yourself even consulting. I'm going to make you a trusted voice in this whole regional area. Um, people that are, don't even know me are going to come and seek your counsel, and I'm going to use you. But there's going to be an apostolic dimension that comes out of you, and this church is going to become very pregnant. In fact, with not one child but two, and there's going to be the birthing of another site or sites or church for that matter. In fact, one of them is even going to come sooner than you think. Um, there's going to be like a cry from a, a neighboring community of wanting something. It's happened before, and you haven't felt to respond. But this one's going to come back the third time around. And when it does, it's going to be me, says the Lord. And I, I'm going to use you. Uh, my hand is going to come on you. And I'm going to really multiply this church's efforts, says the Lord. But there's not only going to be, says the Lord, a multiplying that way. There's going to be a multiplying internally of influence. It's like multiple people in the church are going to find themselves in promotion situations. Blessings are going to come on them. I'm just going to open doors for them. In fact, there's been two kind of long-term unemployment situations in the church that have been very frustrating, like incredible people, and they have not left the city even though they've had opportunity to leave it because they felt called here. I'm going to terminate that unemployment. In fact, a blessing is going to come on this church in promise raises, promise finances. Um, there's going to be like a new prosperity that flows out of this church. I'm really going to bless it. In fact, this is an hour where things that have been dammed up in this church are, are going to break loose, and by my spirit and by my power, I'm going to do it, says the Lord. Um, it's going to happen. Um, this is to Andrea. Daughter, my hand's on you, and I'm going to multiply your efforts as well. Um, the anointing you have musically and in worship is going to multiply. And in fact, says the Lord, out of you, there's going to come a stream of worship leaders. In fact, they're going to begin to come here. You've kind of heard people say, I'd like to come and be with you. Well, it's really going to happen now. And you're going to find yourself part of a center of like equipping worship leaders. And it's been a very, very interesting season for you. You went through a dry season, not a bad season, where things just seemed to be dry to you in the creative side of your personality. It was like doors were shut for about two years, and there were lots of warfare that came against you. Um, it was hard to put your finger on. It would float in and out. It even affected some of the balances in your own soul. It was an unusual time that lasted almost two years. In fact, 19 months of it was, um, was very, very heavy. But out of that time, out of that desert, a new musical flow is going to come out of you. And the song of the Lord is going to be very, very rich in your mouth. Um, that you, you faced some like depressive, oppressive things as you were ministering to others, began to slap at you. But my spirit came out of you. My grace came out of you. And I want you to know out of that dry season, I didn't leave you high or dry. In fact, says the Lord, fresh music, fresh anointing, Fresh grace is going to flow and flood out of your soul. Real joy is going to come. Meredith, I think your name is. You're 20, right, Meredith? When are you 21? When's your birthday month? Oh, you're just like a birthday prophecy. How wonderful. Um, look at me a second, Meredith. Uh, um, the hand of the Lord is on you. In fact, your mom's anointing is on you. Um, it's not just your mom's anointing. Good thing is it's God's anointing. Um, um, his hand's on you. Uh, you're very, very musical, obviously. I didn't take much prophecy. You play keyboard. Um, but there's also a tremendous leadership gift on you. Um, it's, it's a very, very unique gift mix that floods your soul. You're both um, right-brained and left-brained. On one hand, you're very creative. Um, there's a poetic side to you um, in rhyme, in verse. You love poetry. Um, you're very, very deep. On the other side, there's a toughness about you. Um, there's a leadership gift. Uh, you're very discerning. Um, some people suffer fools gladly. Uh, you're not one of them. Um, 
Patience has not been your greatest virtue. Um, you're typically in a hurry for things, and it's been a little frustrating for you of late. Um, you somehow feel I'm just behind the time. Um, even in your educational life, there's been a lot of frustration. Um, you feel like I had a false start there. You don't lack talent. Um, you don't lack brains. And you felt stuck in not fully known why. Um, you also had your heart bruised some. I'm not talking about sin, but there was a bruising in your heart, um, even a relational bruising, bruised part of your heart. That I want you to know, precious daughter, I, in the end, I'm saving you for the best. And there's going to open another door is going to come for you. You've really felt stuck. I get that. You think you were stuck. I got stuck in that carpenter shop 18 years. And I'm here to tell you, says the Lord, you're not stuck. You're on the launch pad. But there is going to come a launching and a release, says the Lord. Um, there is going to be a releasing. There's another door that's beckoned to you that's going to open back up, and it's going to be right. You deeply love your family. Um, you're like a lint brush when it comes to the burdens of others. Um, you will assume things. You'll carry things. But there was some heartbreak that kind of split you and left you vulnerable. And it, there was the heartbreaking thing that, that life had been easy for you and there was a lot of faith and that hit you pretty hard. Put your hand on your heart for me, Andrea. But I'm telling you right now, I'm healing that bruised place up. And I'm the God that said it pleased me to bruise my own son. And I will allow bruising to come on those I love. Um, my hand's on you. My blessing is on you. Um, I'm healing this place in your heart, and I'm telling you not to be afraid. It's a new day. There was even some, an anxiety thing that tried to come on you that would strangle up some of your faith. Um, I'm breaking that off you. New faith, new grace, new life is coming. All right, let me have a look at you. Stick your head around. What's your name? You're handsome, lad, a little red in that hair. I'm a partial to red hair. I've always pondered maybe God had red hair myself. I don't know why I would think that. Okay, I have multiple redheads. Let's put our hands out to him. Uh, Son, you, you just, you're littered with talent. Um, you make everything look easy that's hard for others. Um, uh, you're a little eccentric. Um, you, you're into all kinds of things, artistic things. You're good with fashion, and you're very, very coordinated. Um, you're so coordinated, it's scary. You can pick up any kind of ball, any kind of bat, racket, club, do anything, stand on anything. Um, you're just massively coordinated, hand-eye, foot-eye, um, you can do anything with a ball, and unusually so, you're as smart as you're coordinated. Um, you're very smart. You're very quick-minded. Um, some wonder if you're ADD because you can do three or four things at one time. Um, you don't have the longest attention span, that's for sure. Um, you're filled with nervous energy. You're kind of a renaissance man. You like cooking shows. You like music. Um, you, you, you have a heart. You're good at fashion. You're good at about everything, and it's going to come together in you, and I'm really going to use you. Um, you're going to have a political activist bone in you as well. Um, you hate injustice. You're very, very good with people. You're emotionally intelligent, and you really care about the broken and the hurting. Um, you're the kind of kid you'll hang out with a kid that's the most broken and the most hurting. Um, but you, you've been at an interesting point mentally. In fact, it really hit you this summer. Um, you did a lot of pondering. You're not used to knowing. And, and it's, you're, it's almost like you've been an enigma to yourself in trying to figure out who you are, uh, what you are, what you're called to do. But I'm going to really begin to show you. Um, there is a lot of education in your future. And, and I'm going to open a door in a place farther than your family will like. But I'm going to do it by my spirit. Um, I'm going to launch you off. I'm really going to use you. Law interests you, like injustice interests you. 
I'm, you're very, very good with words as well. And I want you to know, says the Lord, the spirit of advocacy is going to be on you. And I'm going to make you a holy advocate for me. And I am going to use you, says the Lord. There's been an in- some interesting things going on in friendship in your life, for that matter. Um, there's been, there's been a, a cry in your heart in that whole area. Um, I'm not going to go into it publicly, but suffice it to say, God sees that. Um, God sees that in his hands on you. Watch what he does. Jamie, stand up. I know your wife's not here, but I want to say a couple things to you anyway. I, that's not a word of knowledge. His wife's not here. Dave told me. Okay, don't get too impressed. Put your hands out to Jamie. Um, Jamie, my hand's on you. You're just as faithful a man. Come walk up here. Toward, Dave, stay up here. D- Jamie, walk up here toward me. Um, in fact, I'm getting ready to elevate you some. Um, you're going to have increased responsibility. Um, you're, you're really going to grow in the area of responsibility. If you had a new name in heaven, it would just be faithful. Um, you don't know how to quit. You have the work ethic of four men. Um, you serve. You clean the bathrooms in the church. You don't care. You're radically in love with me. I've made you a great husband. How many children do you have? Five. Are you going to pass, pass the smaltzes, or are you satisfied with that? You think? You're sure about that? You're not going to try to pass them up? Okay, I'm, well, we'll, we'll see. Now, Father, so I thank you for Jamie, and I, and I, and I ask your blessing on him. Um, you, have a, you have a teaching gift. You're very patient. You're really good with working with people that don't think they can learn. Um, there is a unique pastor call on your life to stand alongside Dave, but there are going to be some things where I'm going to put some increased responsibility on you over the next two years. You're going to have to take it. In fact, you're going to find yourself multitasking more and more. Um, you and Dave's life is going to be compounded with open doors. Um, you're going to find yourself carrying responsibility here and in another place for a season. Um, you're going to branch out. Um, you like, you're like your pastor. You're deeply wise. There's also a prophetic thing that stirs in you from time to time in dreams, um, in seeing things, um, in hearing things. Um, I'm going to use you more and more. And, and, and your wife has been hit some of late. She's a tremendous woman. She loves me. But there's been some extended family things that have really pressed her. In fact, there's part of her family that's a little bit like a swamp. And it's, it's been kind of hard to negotiate that. Um, how many siblings does she have? Yeah. There's, I'm doing a fresh work in that sibling. I want you to know my hand's on you. Um, my, a special shield is coming to your second child, in fact, says the Lord. Uh, I'm coming to that child to touch him. Watch what I'm doing. I'm increasing you. Well, all right. Thank the Lord. Let's give the Lord a clap offering and, and look at the Bible a minute. Turn your Bibles to the book of Judges this morning. That's an encouraging book, of course, of the Bible. And um, turn to Judges 6, and we are going to be in Judges 6 and 7 the whole time this morning as I, as I ponder what I was to say. Um, Father, just, just help us as we turn to your word. I prayed I felt to talk to you out of the life of Gideon, and I'm just going to basically entitle this message Harvest wars from brokenness to breakout. Uh, we find ourselves living in an interesting time in American history. How many of you remember when we were deeply in the recession and the government said there wasn't a recession? Uh, then, when we were out of the recession, the government then, then then basically they said we were out of the recession. We still felt recessed. Can you relate to that? And it's been an interesting time. No matter whether you're Republican or Democrat, um, I myself honestly feel alienated from both parties at times. Uh, 
Americans of every ethnicity, gender, and demographic are concerned for the country. The ongoing breakdown in the family, the pain we see, just the brokenness of fatherlessness, millions of kids growing up without a dad, the terrors, rising tide of sexual abuse, porn. Are there any answers? Um, before we came into this decade in December of at the end of 2009, right before 2010, the Lord came to me five times all around 4.30 in the morning. And he began to talk to me about this decade, about Arab Spring, the shaking in the Arab governments that would come. But he also talked to me about the United States. And I basically, in praying, saw a giant black cloud over America of, of economic pain and hurt. And the Lord had showed me the recession that was to come and, and basically told me what to watch for and how long it would last. And so as I saw this, I saw people were just so frightened over the economy as we came into this, how it would be. The next thing I knew, out of that black cloud, it began to rain, and it was interesting. The rain hit asphalt, concrete, and deserts. And when it did, they became verdant pastoral scenes, filled with sheep. And these sheep were multiplying so fast that it almost looked like animation. I have a water, Dave. Maybe it's up here. I just don't see it somehow. My water's like disappeared. Hmm. Ah, thank you, Meredith. So, and everywhere I looked, there was massive growth. And the Lord spoke this to me. He said, by the end of this decade, there will be so much evangelism in America and so many people saved that statistically there will be a change. So I believe we're in a unique moment. We're in the midst of a lot of uncertainty and a lot of wondering, God is really going to move. And one of the places he is going to move is right here. Now, if he is going to touch your city, what might he have to do in you if he was going to move here? As we come into Judges chapter 6, we find a tragic story. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, Judges 6, 1 through 10, and God gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. The power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves and mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. Now, what is the bottom line? It's a time when God's people were so oppressed and so hurting that they were hiding in caves, living in pits and cracks. And because they were oppressed and because they were hiding, every time there was a tremendous harvest, the enemy would come and steal it. It's no different in our country today. It is the plan of the enemy to so oppress you, to so hurt you, to so pound you, to so discourage you that you're blind to the tremendous harvest around you. Beloved, let me tell you something. Many people say, America's rotting. Now, what is rotten fruit? Overripe, just not picked. A rotten harvest is a harvest that was not taken when it was ripe. And there is a harvest all around you in your city this morning, a harvest of opportunities, a harvest of men and women. But the enemy wants to keep you so embattled, so beleaguered, so hurting that you miss the very opportunities in front of you. Now in the middle of this great battle, where for seven years the harvest of God's people had been stolen, the Lord decides to find 
one human to change things. Doesn't take many to create change. And this man's name was Gideon. And as you might expect, he was broken. And in Judges 6, beginning in verse 11, we find him. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midians, Midianites. When we come to Gideon, what do we find? He is basically living a survival mentality. Now, a wine press is an interesting thing, and a wine press basically is where you put olives to crush them and make wine. It's a picture in the Bible of the anointing of God, and here is Gideon using all of his anointing just to survive, just surviving. No idea that God is about to break into his life and to use him to change all of history. So the angel of the Lord appears to him, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon's there, been coming out of his cave, creeping out, getting a little bit of food to survive with. And all of a sudden, God shows up and says, behold, thou mighty man of valor. How many of you know Gideon probably looked around to see if someone else was there? I mean, mighty man of valor, I mean, I'm a coward hiding in a cave. No matter where you find yourself today, God's able to help you. Gideon's answer was, well, listen, I've never really seen a miracle. I'm discouraged. You've abandoned me. How can you really use me? But God says, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I come from a really bad family. I'm the worst person in the family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you'll strike down all the Midianites together. Many of you right now, the very thought that God could use you to make a difference, the very thought that somehow God could touch you and use you in your company, in your school, you think, well, you know, God, I'm weak, I'm kind of messed up. What did God say? I'm with you. The fact of it is God delights in taking weak people and making them strong by his power. Really, two kinds of people God uses. Those who think they're really strong and God allows life to break them down to the point that they'll trust in him, and those that realize they're not strong and glad to find some power. Wherever you are today, the same God, beloved, the same God to touch Gideon is knocking at the door of your heart to use you. Like Gideon, you may have every excuse. Well, I've never seen a miracle. You know, I prayed for someone, they weren't healed. I've been abandoned. My family was a mess. It's dysfunctional. I'm kind of the worst one in my family. Every excuse God says, I'm sending you. That God's answer to all his weakness was, go in that your strength. You see, what's so amazing about God is God doesn't just use us where we're strong. He uses us where we're weak. He comes into the weakest areas of our life and glorifies himself. Now, basically, after saying all this, Gideon decides, okay, let me put God to the test. Now, this is astonishing. And I'll, I'll, I'll read fast in the scripture. Gideon said, if I found favor in your sight, if you're really going to use me, 
here's my test. Now, don't leave. He said, Gideon runs away, sees if God will wait on him. He comes back with a sacrifice and basically comes back with this young lamb, bread, all that, and he puts it on a rock. And so Gideon's saying, God, if you're really with me, I want to see if you'll fellowship with me. I want to see if you really like me. I want to see if you really love me. Like the question in all of our heart is, fact, okay, does God really believe in me? Despite all my weaknesses, does God really want to fellowship with me? Does God really want to have anything to do with me? Then the angel said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, O sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And all of a sudden, Gideon had the fundamental revelation in the human soul. God's going to fellowship with me. God's going to care about me. And at the very foundation of what I'm saying to you today comes the revelation that no matter how weak I am and broken I may be, God himself has determined to fellowship with me. God himself is going to send me. God himself is going to use me. Seems like just yesterday, I'd gotten out of the 82nd Airborne Division in Fayetteville. I was sitting in the Manor Church, which is now thousands and was like 75 or 100 people then, ripe old age of 21 years old. The last thing in my mind was that God could use someone like me. The last thing I thought as I, as I sat there, the next thing I know, a crazy prophet came. He called me up in front of the whole church and said, you're going to go to the nations of the world. You're going to preach all over the world. You're going to preach to thousands. No one believed it, including my pastor. They all knew me too well. Three months later, I was gone living in the jungles, training church planners. The same God that came to me as a young man can do anything with you. The revelation that in spite of your weaknesses, God wants to use you. The same God that called Gideon out of his cave, fellowship with him, is the God that's knocking on the door. But once you have that revelation, once you're secure in the fact that God loves you, secure in the fact that God wants to fellowship with you, secure in the fact that God has a purpose for you, that, unfortunately, is when God really gets down to business. Now, in Judges 6, 25 through 32, God says, okay, Gideon, now that you know I love you, now that you know I want to fellowship with you, now I'm going to begin to change you so I can really use you. And what God asked of Gideon was going to be no simple thing. He said, Gideon, I want you to take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Why was that important? Seven years represented seven years of suffering, seven years of oppression, seven years of failure, seven years of fear. And he goes on to say, I want you to tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asheroth pole beside it. Baal worship and Asheroth worship basically had just flooded the land. And in those days, it wasn't just a time of immorality or amorality. It was a time where immorality was considered an act of worship. It was a time basically where you could sleep with a temple prostitute, then the child of that union would be burned alive in fire to a false god. God says, Gideon, if you really want to serve me, 
now that you know I love you and I'm going to use you, I'm going to cut to the root of what's been destroying you and your family. You see, once you begin to realize that God loves you and you're secure that he cares about you, he is going to come into your life with that word and begin to cut away those things that are holding you back. And this was no joke. He said, you're going to tear down your family's altar to Baal. Then you're going to build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asheroth pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as an offering. Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was so afraid of his family and the men of the town, he snuck out and did it at night. Let me tell you something. The altar in the Bible is a picture of our relationship with God, of hearing God, of knowing God, of loving God. But if you're really going to have the relationship with God you desire, you cannot build it on top of secret sin and bondage and brokenness. God says, Gideon, I want you to destroy the bondage that's been in your family line and build an altar on the very place where you used to follow the wrong thing. Man, Gideon was afraid. He was getting ready to destroy an altar that would bring the wrath of the whole village on him. But late at night, he tore down that altar where he'd seen every type of ungodly worship. He cut down the Asheroth pole, put an altar to God, and took his dad's prime bull and offered it as a sacrifice of worship. The next morning when the village saw it, basically they wanted to kill him, wanted to wipe him out, and this is what his dad said. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon, Jerub Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. If you'll embrace the process of sanctification, God will work in your life in such a way that not just you but your family are affected. Now, what's happened here? God's taken this broken vessel, and God's beginning to change him. God's beginning to work in him. But it's for a purpose. When God takes a broken vessel, his purpose is to find a breakthrough in that person's life. And watch what happens. The minute Gideon's done that, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, what happened? In, in Judges 6, 33-35, the peoples of the east are coming to wipe him out again. Um, they're coming to steal the harvest. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God, watch this, comes on Gideon, and he blows a trumpet and calls all of Israel to come and fight the Midianites. And and so we, we're going to find what happens here in Judges 6, 36 through 40. So basically, he calls um, these thousands together. And when they come together, he even, needs a, he even needs a deeper revelation. Now imagine this for a moment. You're Gideon. Two days ago, you were hiding in your cave. And all of a sudden, in a two, three-day period, you know God loves you. You've cut down the altar of Baal. And now you're blowing a trumpet and 30-something thousand people show up to face this army of like, I think it was 120,000 we'll find later in the story. Now here comes something profound. Now when Gideon sees this, this massive army, he's really scared, and he goes up to what's called the threshing floor. Now watch this. 
threshing floor is an interesting thing. And the threshing floor in ancient times is once you'd get your harvest, you'd kind of bring this to this kind of hardened floor in a pit, and you'd jump up and down and walk on top of the grain to thresh it and break it open so it could be used. And Gideon does something very, very interesting, and I'll read it to you. Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you've promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so, only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered. Now what does this mean? Basically, when Gideon took a lambskin, here's what he's saying. God, this is how I feel. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. There's no way I think I can do this. And he laid this lamb skin down on the threshing floor. And here's a sign. He said, if you're really going to help me, when the sun goes down at night, I want this lamb skin to be drenched in dew, but the ground dry. Now, dew in the Bible was very, very important. I don't have time to go into it. But when they were in the wilderness, it was in manna during the night. It was in dew during the night the manna would fall. And dew was considered the blessing of heaven because that's how things got life in water during the heat of the summer. It would come in dew at night. Now, what is Gideon saying? I'm in a dark night. I'm in a real fight. And I've got to know if you have the power to drench me and supply my needs. Woke up the next morning. The lambskin was so filled with dew that when he wrung it out, it filled up a cup. Then he said, God, okay, one more thing. It's not enough that you can touch me. I want to know that you can touch this hard ground where you've called me to. The next morning he woke up, the ground was soaked, the skin was dry. What is God saying? He is able to provide for you no matter what you're facing. No matter how dark it is, no matter how dry it is, this God can meet your needs. Now, once Gideon had this confidence, he called his big army together. And of course, who but God is going to reduce that army down to nothing? Gideon's already thinking, you know, there's 120,000 of the enemy. I got my 30,000, whatever it is. You know, you could read the story for yourself. Time doesn't really permit for me to read it all, but I'll, I'll look at it here with you for a moment. So they call him up. Camp of Midian was north. Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. I mean, my own hand. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. Think about that for a moment. Gideon's already going, man, we're outnumbered three to one. You know, it's not a fair fight. You're going to learn in Christianity God never calls you to a fair fight. Let me tell you that right now. Why? Because it's a fair fight, you'd get the credit, not him. So Gideon says, how many of you want to go home? He's thinking, man, these are all brave men. 22,000 scoot off. They leave 10,000 only. Gideon's already scared to death. And then God gives him another test. See how they drink. And, though, and basically, I'll read this to you and explain it to you quickly as we go to the next part of the story. The Lord said, there's still too many. Take them down to the water, and I'll thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. 
The Lord said, I will save them with 300. Now, what is that all about? Is because when you worship Baal, you worshiped him on your knees. When you worship Jehovah, they would lay prostrate. And, and Moses, God was telling, basically telling um, Gideon, I'll only deliver Israel with those who have not been in Baal worship. Now the army is just reduced down to 300 people. And God said, this is all I need. Let me tell you something, beloved. God doesn't need many to win a battle. God doesn't need thousands. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room. Here he had 300 people. Now it's interesting when you go into the next part of the story. Gideon now has 300 going to face well over 100,000 people. And the plan God gave him, which you can see for yourself in a moment, is just mind-boggling. But I love what happened. He gets his army together and basically gets his 300. He gives each one of them an old pitcher, each one a torch, each one a trumpet. He says, there are 300,000 of us. There's over 100,000 of them. Here's my plan. When you hear me shout, I want you to blow on the trumpet I want you to have your torch inside the old pot and break the pot and shout the sword of the Lord and Gideon and see what happens. Now, right before the battle starts, it's very, very interesting. Right before the battle, God knows Gideon's still afraid, and he gives him one last sign. He says, Gideon, if you're still afraid, sneak down into the camp of the enemy and see what's happening. Now, you understand what God's been doing in Gideon's soul. First of all, I gave him the revelation, I love you and I can use you. I'm with you. Secondly, but if I'm going to use you, I'm going to change you. Then once I change you, I'm going to bring you into a situation that seems impossible, but I'm going to be with you. But Gideon's still a little afraid, and God wants to give him one last revelation. So Gideon sneaks down into the camp of the enemy, and here's two old Midianites talking. They go, man, I was dreaming last night. This big old barley loaf came rolling down the hill, and it got bigger and bigger, and it ran our tents over and crushed us and destroyed us. And barley's kind of the, the most menial, kind of subservient, you know, bread of poverty. And the other minute I go, man, what does it mean? He goes, it's that Gideon guy. He's going to crush us. And Gideon thought to himself, man, my enemies are afraid of me. Now, the fourth revelation God wants to give you is this. We glorify the devil as this brutal foe who can wipe us out. And I have respect for the devil's power, but the fact of it is, hell is afraid of heaven. Hell's afraid of heaven. What you're so afraid of in reality is afraid of you. You remember when they went into the promised land and they sent the 12 spies out, and 10 spies came back and said, man, they're giants, there's wall cities, um, there's no way we can take them. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes and grasshoppers in our own eyes. And Caleb got up and said, listen, don't be afraid of these guys. Their protections left them. Their power's broken. We can take them. They're afraid of us. Forty years later, when they finally got there after wandering, and the two spies were talking to Rahab, she said, man, we've heard all about you. We're afraid. We heard how 40 years ago your God parted the Red Sea. What's she saying? They'd been afraid for 40 years. The children of Israel were afraid of a people who had already been defeated in their hearts. Gideon came back took 300 men. How 300 men surround over 100,000? I don't know. He shouted, blew trumpets. They cracked that old broken pot. Flames shot up. They shouted the sword of the Lord and Gideon, and the army of Midian 
began to kill one another. And God wiped the army out. Now, what does this have to do with you and I today? I've taken a long story here, and really, probably four sermons in one. What am I saying? The same God that came to find Gideon is coming for you today. We live in an hour where the harvest is immense, but the enemy is robbing us of our harvest because we are so busy living on the defensive, fighting oppression, and trying to survive that we miss the very harvest God brings. Now, if this is going to stop, it's going to stop with you. The same God that came to the door of Gideon's cave, the same God that came when, Midian was, when Gideon was using the wine press to thresh bread, is coming to you and saying, mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor, you're looking around, who is God talking? Is God talking to Dave? Is God talking to Andre? Is God talking to Jamie? No, talking to you. I'm with you. And many of us are a lot better at giving God all the reasons he cannot use us instead of giving God all the reasons he can. You saved me, you anointed me, you touched me, you discipled me. After giving God every excuse, Gideon probably thought he'll never want me. Bad family, messed up, never seen a miracle, discouraged. God says, man, you're just what I'm looking for. Go in this your strength. What's your strength? Realizing without God you can't do it. The same God that came to Gideon is coming to you right now. For some of you, you have a revelation that God loves you and accepts you, but God's having you tear down some things in your life. Tear down some things that have been in your family for generations. Cut out some things. Why would he do that? Because once he gives you the revelation of his love, he comes to transform you so he can use you. Others of you, like Gideon, you're at the place where the Spirit of God is on you to take action, to lead something, to do something. Some of you find yourself in the place today where, like Gideon, man, God, I'm obeying you, but the odds are impossible. And God's going to give you a revelation of his provision for you, his care for you. This church is coming to a unique moment in time where person after person is going to be called to step up to lead, to step up to make a difference. There is an immense harvest in this region, and you are one of the groups called to fight for it and take it. You're today, you say, Pastor, I want everything God has for me. Put your hand up so I can pray for you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this great church. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for the doors you're going to open. God, the unique promotions you're going to bring. And I pray, Lord, as they rise up as a body this year, they would have a unique year. In fact, a unique two-year run of growth, of blessing, of opportunity. I thank you for the fresh vision you've given Pastor Dave, and I call this church into everything you have for them, Lord. Pastor Dave.